0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, UPC.org. See these deputies in action to know what has inspired their summer adventure is the knowledge of Jesus Christ and a love for Him and a belief that He is the one who is bringing reconciliation. He's the one who's making all things new in creation, and they want to be a part of it, and so do we. And that's why we're here worshiping him this morning. In 1865, in the spring, in the rain and the mud, Washington, D.C., Abraham Lincoln got up to give his second inaugural address. And he called this nation not to judge. He quoted the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Let us not judge, or we shall be judged. It was a moment where the nation had been deeply and painfully divided. 620,000 people died in that conflict. And from the south to the north, the cries of, for reconstruction or recriminations uh, were heard. They must pay the debt. Somebody must pay the debt. And Abraham Lincoln understood this, but he hadn't fought this war in order to achieve a victory over the South. He had fought this war in order to unite the Union. He was so passionate about reconciliation that it was a brief but a brilliant speech in which he called these famous words, the nation to unity, with malice toward none, with charity for all, let us finish the work, let us bind up the wounds. As a country, we're still working on this project. I don't know if you saw a couple weeks ago, a talk show host was um, uh, talking about a very politically charged subject, and he kind of lost control of himself, and he said, I'm sick and tired of seeing these victims. He's talking about the victims of Newtown, uh, trotted out, given rides on Air Force One, hauled into the Senate well, and everyone is just afraid. They're terrified of these victims. I would stand in front of them and, and tell them, go to hell. And you go, oh, my gosh, is is, is this the way we carry on political discourse uh, in in the country that Abraham Lincoln called to reconciliation? Our civil war ended almost 150 years ago, but our incivilities continue to this day. We live in a culture that will swoon over tolerance, but rises up in judgment again and again again. We say of one another, she deserves it. He deserves it. Our courts are packed with litigation. Our marriages are strained with conflict. We experienced road rage. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I I read about a road rage in Palo Alto, California. A guy on a Vespa engaged in road rage against somebody in a car. Um, That's just where it's going. You know, roommates. Do we not, by this time of the year, think, oh, so glad it's almost over because we've been seething with this kind of low-grade rage and annoyance against this other person? We have anger, we have resentment. The other day I was renting a car and I found myself uh, flush with anger at this poor clerk who was just trying to do her job and all of a sudden she asked the wrong what to me was the wrong question. I'd never been asked this question before and I let her know it. And I thought, where did that come from? There is within us. A bitterness. But for Jesus, the only way to stop our judging and our judgmentalism is to get his vision of forgiveness. There is in Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, a teaching that says, do not judge. And maybe you're familiar with this teaching. What you may not have noticed is that many scholars believe that section, which we'll read in a moment, at the beginning of chapter 7, is actually an extension of the brief bit in the Lord's Prayer in which we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or as we oftentimes pray here, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus seems to elaborate on that section. In fact, some have argued that the Lord's Prayer uh, provides the outline for all the rest of the Sermon on the Mount uh, that follows that part in chapter 6. See, for Jesus, the opposite of judgment is not tolerance, like our culture tells us, but forgiveness. Let's look at this together. Would you open up your Bible uh, to Matthew chapter 6? I'm going to read in two places with you, uh, verse 12. That's page 787 of the Pew Bible. We'll start there, and then we'll read the first uh, five verses of Matthew chapter 7. So if you're able, will you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. This is the gospel this morning. And uh, we'll start with verse 12, and then we'll jump over, of, of chapter 6, we'll jump over to chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. So first, Matthew six twelve. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Jesus zeroes in here on the eye. And so as he does, I want to ask you to think about what you see in context where your reaction is to judge. I think Jesus invites us all to see things differently differently. He's saying to us this morning, look for my forgiveness. So I want to invite you to look up, to look in, and then to look around. First, look up. I want us to see how much God forgives us. Notice the humor here. I think this is probably one of the funniest places in in the New Testament, perhaps Certainly in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a joke. He really, we're asking the question, who is the Savior? And he sees himself, I think, as a little bit of a stand-up comedian here. I know he's sitting down to teach the Sermon on the Mount, but he's in front of this crowd and he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye? And this is kind of an interesting picture. I don't know where that came from for Jesus. Was it in his, his father, the carpenter's uh, workshop one day? Uh, maybe he got a fleck in his eye and had his dad tenderly uh, remove it from him and imagine what it would be like to actually have someone do that who had a beam, a log, sticking out of their eye, swinging around, and poor Jesus is ducking his head and trying to get out of the way. And As Jesus looks at his audience, you can bet that he begins to see them smile. Uh, he may have gestured as he told this story, what do you make of the fact that Jesus talks, us, talks to us about judgment with humor? Well, I think we see something of the grace of Jesus in this. This is the Savior who tells us, do not take yourself too seriously. This is the Savior who forgives us. As he says in verse 12 of Matthew 6, come to me for forgiveness. He wants to forgive us. This is where uh, reconciliation begins. Look up, look at me, Jesus says. See how much God has forgiven you. Don't take yourself too seriously. Enjoy the forgiveness of God. Whatever debts you have in your life, I have forgiven them. And when we know Jesus, he displaces our anger, our bitterness, our sorrow with joy. And I think this is what Earl Palmer, our pastor, or emeritus, would call the laughter of heaven in the teaching of our Savior. It would be so easy for him to say, I judge you, stop judging. You know, but Jesus is the one in whom there's no condemnation. He has no, uh, he has no obstruction in his own eye. He sees our sin perfectly. And yet he invites us to receive from him absolute absolution, complete forgiveness. And he doesn't come at us directly and say, see how judgmental you are. He says, let's talk about this. Let me give you a mental picture that shows what it's like when you judge the people around you. And everybody starts to laugh and they go, oh, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that gal. It's it's a way of coming alongside this difficult topic sideways with such tenderness and gentleness, it seems to me. He does not want us to feel even more of the negative emotions that tend to inspire our judgmentalism. He just wants to swap them out for laughter and joy. He asks this question in verse 3. Why? There are two questions in this passage. Did you notice? And the first of them is is, is why? He's, He's probing our motive. Why would you do this? Why would you go after the speck in somebody else's eye when there's a beam in your own eye? Well, I think it's because when we're tempted to judge, there's unhelpful emotion in our lives. I don't know what makes you judgmental. Uh, maybe it's seeing that hummer, you know, or uh, when the marketer puts the word "look" in front of some word. That drives me absolutely nuts. And I feel judgmental immediately. Uh, why would, uh, beneath, beneath that uh, action, there are more fundamental uh, emotions. We uh, who are participating in this class, Designed to Forgive... Uh, were taught by Fred Luskin who comes from Stanford he's the head of the forgiveness project at Stanford University and he, he taught us that the brain has a way of storing our negative emotions together so that when we feel grief or loss or hurt we tend to map those feelings in the same place in our mind and another a negative emotion tends to trigger that reserve and, and, and fires this place in our brain where we reconnect with the pain so that sometimes we feel a reaction that's out of proportion to the provocation. And Jesus doesn't add more negative emotion to that place. He says, come, let's laugh together. Let's look at what this looks like. Let me invite you to know that you're so forgiven. You don't need to live this way came across a story of a a husband and wife who were married for 60 years. A beautiful relationship. Uh, When they got married, the wife said to the husband, I want to reveal to you everything except the contents of this one shoebox. And I'm going to keep the shoebox in our closet and ask that you don't uh, open it. Or ask me about this shoebox, if you don't mind. And he honored that request for 60 years. In fact, entirely forgot about it. Until she was uh, very sick and he was putting her affairs in order at the end of her life. And he, he came to her in the hospital one day and he said, now I came across this shoebox and I, I wonder if it's time, uh, what should we do with it? And, and she said, well, yes, w- w- let me tell you about the shoebox. She said, the day before we got married, my grandmother told me, Honey, marriage is going to be hard and there are going to be times where you're going to get in an argument with your husband. And when you do... What I want you to do is say a prayer. God, thank you for forgiving me. And then I want you to stitch, to crochet a little doll and and put it in that box. And uh, the husband opened up the box and there were two crocheted dolls in there. And he began to get choked up. He thought, wow, I've been with this woman for 60 years. And we've only had two occasions where we really couldn't reconcile with one another and stitch these two Uh, dolls together. And she'd also hidden $95,000 in cash in the box. And he asked about the cash. He says, what's that? She says, well, every time I stitched one of these crochet dolls, I sold it for $5 a piece. Put the money in the box. But you know, the secret to a happy marriage is not don't get into arguments. It's forgive one another. It's forgive one another. And we do that when we look up at Jesus and see how much he's forgiven. And see that he's always the one who says, come to me and let me forgive you your debt. And then secondly, he invites us to look in. Remember, look up, see how much God forgives you, but then look in. See the freedom of forgiving others. Verse 4, the Savior asks a second question. He asks the how question. You know, how could you Uh, Say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye. How could you do that? He's challenging our qualifications. He's challenging my ability really to be a very good judge, to sit in the judgment seat that he alone occupies. Who, how qualified are you, George? I don't think he feels uh, much threat. His job security is very good. But he asked me to think about, why do I think I can do that? Someone says, uh, before you criticize somebody, walk a mile in their shoes. You've heard that saying. So that then uh, you'll be a mile away from them and you'll have their shoes. <laughs> Mark Lowry. I, I, love, I love this. Mark Lowry says this. He says, love the sinner, hate the sin. How about love the sinner, hate your own sin? I don't have any time to hate your sin. There are too many of you. Hating my sin is a full-time job. How about you hate your sin, I'll hate my sin, let's just love each other. Isn't that a good sentiment? I appreciate that. I got enough. My hands are full. And Jesus seems to be saying that. You know, your hands are full. Your eyes occluded. Uh, Let's just forget about the other person. I want to focus on you. Would you look in? Look in at yourself. Because the truth is... That forgiveness is more for ourselves than for the person forgiven. I know you know that and you've probably heard that and Fred Luskin taught us that. But you need to hear that again. Forgiveness is more for you than it is for the person you're attempting to forgive. Why is it so hard for us to focus on ourselves? It's because the other person's really hurt us. It's because we're keeping score. We're measuring them Uh, As Jesus suggests, we've been betrayed, we've been deceived, we've been defrauded. Oftentimes, this person hasn't apologized to us, hasn't asked for forgiveness. In many cases, hasn't stopped hurting us. But Jesus says, let me open up the door of the prison. I want to set you free. And the only way I can do that is to invite you to forgive, to let go of the bitterness, to give the anger to me, and to forgive Jesus asks us to focus on ourselves. You know, what they did wrong to you is their problem, but the anger is our problem. Forgiveness is good for us. Frederick uh, uh, Beekner writes Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what we are wolfing down, what you are wolfing down, is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Jesus knows that. He says, I have come to set the captives free. And when you forgive, the person who is set free is not the offender. It's the one offended. Look in. Pay attention to yourself. Acknowledge your own need to be freed from this past. Jesus doesn't say, forgive us our trespasses. He didn't invite us to pray this way. Forgive us our trespasses so that we will then have the moral authority not to have to forgive other people. (laughs) To hold it over their heads. No, he says, go ahead. Forgive us. Invite God to forgive us as we then have the capacity to forgive others. I told you the story, if you were with us in Larson Hall the other day, about Alex, an- Alex Anderson, who's a veteran uh, um, from Afghanistan, and shared her story with NPR in this, the This I Believe series. After 18 months, I'm sorry, in Iraq, uh, she returned home with post-traumatic post-traum- stress disorder. She was having nightmares, and she couldn't sleep, and hallucinations. When she was ready to return to work, she was assigned to Guantanamo Bay as an interrogator. And she tells the story of sitting face-to-face with these um, whom she, who had been combatants uh, she'd been fighting against in Iraq. And this is what she says. She says, when I returned to work, I began to meet again with my clients, which is what I chose to call my detainees. We were all exhausted. Many of them came back from a war having lost friends too. I wondered how many of them still heard screaming at night like I did. My job was to obtain information that would help keep U.S. soldiers safe. We'd meet, play dominoes, I'd bring chocolate, and we'd talk a lot. There was one detainee, Mustafa, who joked that I was his favorite interrogator in the world. And I joked back that he was my favorite terrorist. And he was. He'd committed murders and did things we all wished he could take back. He asked me one day, suddenly, serious. You know everything about me, but still, you do not hate me. Why? His question stopped me cold. I said, everyone has done things in their past that they're not proud of. I know I have, but I also know God still expects me to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. That means you. Mustafa started to cry. That's what my God says, too, he said. And then she continues, accepting Mustafa helped me accept myself again. My clients may never know this, but my year with them helped me to finally heal. My nightmares stopped. You see the power of forgiveness in our own lives. It's healing. Jesus says, see the freedom of forgiving others in your own life. I want this for you. I want you to forgive because I want you to be free from the bitterness and the anger and the pain. Of horrible things. Look up, look in, and then finally look around. See the power of forgiveness. Jesus envisions a community that lives with a power beyond its own capability. I can't forgive. Not perfectly. You can't forgive perfectly. But Jesus, when he sends out his spirit, invites us to live with him in a way that is supernatural. More than human. This kind of forgiveness. Jesus envisions, notice, a community that is flawed. He's giving us a picture here of the community that comes into existence, the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a community that has hurts and that hurts one another and will continue to do so. It's a community that has wood in their eyes and can't really see clearly. It's not a community that's defined by its principles or perfect adherence to some ethical code. It's a community that's defined by the way it forgives so if the who of our message today is Jesus is the Savior who forgives, the how is this? Forgiveness is central to your ministry. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches when he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see people from a human perspective? Do you see that roommate? Do you see that spouse? Do you see that child, that parent, that person who just cut you off on the road from a human perspective? Or do you recognize that God is bringing reconciliation into this world and he's given you and me a ministry of reconciliation, which means he'll endorse your efforts when you dare to forgive somebody else. Forgiveness is central to your ministry. It's a great power. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about uh, judgment. He says, those who've been forgiven always see others as brothers and sisters to whom Christ comes. The Christian is somebody who sees the fellow man under the cross and therefore sees with clarity. When I look at that person who has hurt me, do I see Jesus Christ coming to them? Do I know that if Jesus is the one who stands between me and any standard or code, as we talked about a few weeks, that Jesus is also the one who stands between my friend and that standard as well, and between my friend and myself? Jesus is between us and among us, the reconciler at work. There was a beautiful story in the New York Times uh, magazine in January. It was about a great tragedy, a couple who had no reason... To forgive, I would suggest no power to forgive in, in the way that they did. Their their daughter, their teenage daughter, had been shot uh, in the face by her boyfriend. And as this father, uh, Andy Grossmere, uh, came to the hospital, her his daughter um, was Anne was still alive. Uh, she was on life support and would die shortly. And he he stood above her face was covered and couldn't really see her. And in that moment, he thought, though, that she was speaking to him. He tells the reporter in the New York Times, I heard Ann speak to me, and she was saying, forgive him. And Annie said out loud, no, this is impossible. You're asking too much. And again, he heard a voice saying, forgive him. This teenage boy, Connor, who, in the heat of an argument... While his girlfriend was begging for her life, took it away. and took away her parents' lives as well. absolutely a tragic situation. And yet, here's what Andy Grossmere said. I realized it was not just Anne asking me to forgive Connor. It was Jesus Christ. And I hadn't said no to him before, and I wasn't going to start then. It was just a wave of joy. And I told my daughter, I will. I will. Andy's wife uh, said, Connor owed us a debt he could never repay, but releasing him from that debt would release us. And they took this young man through a process called restorative justice, which had never been done in the state of Florida at this level, murder. And it was a transformational moment for the, the legal system, all those who were involved in that community. This is the power of forgiveness. Jesus is ready to do this, to unleash this power in our lives today, in the lives of people around us. Just to be very practical, I've always felt this was helpful. I want to share three steps from Lewis Smead's to forgiveness. The step one is to rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us. Jesus here refers to our neighbor. But this is an attempt to be general neutral. Actually, the word he uses is brother. So I think it'd probably be a better translation to say your brother or sister. When you forgive somebody, you're acknowledging that you're part of the same family with them. We rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us, Lewis Mead tells us. The second step is we surrender our right to get even. We have a right to get even. We've, We've hurt them and we could reciprocate, but we surrender our right to do so. And then the third step is to revise our feelings toward the person we forgive. This is hard to do. And sometimes you may not be able to say, I forgive you. But one of our pastors here, Steve Eldy, reminded me uh, recently that sometimes it's enough for us to begin by saying, you are forgiven. So you you may not be able to say, I forgive you, but can you say, you are forgiven? And begin to revise our feelings toward the person that we forgive. Well, look up, look in, and look around. We're to look for the forgiveness of Jesus at work among us. I got a letter recently from a woman who, from UPC who had been hurt actually here at UPC. She was so eager for me to share this letter with you. I want to read her words. She says, I wish that I could have grasped forgiveness many years ago like I have now. Forgiveness is the first step in any healing process. Choosing to forgive despite any feelings of unforgiveness and wanting to retaliate has helped me to be a better, not bitter, person. Unforgiveness never works. Healed, set free, happy, these are words I can use to describe myself now because I have chosen to forgive. Forgiveness helps us to let go of anything that would hinder us from moving forward in our lives and callings. How can we move forward into the new season that God has for us if we're stuck in grievances from the past? I have a pocket-sized forgiveness prayer in my purse. Here's the prayer she's written. I'll share it with you. My forgiveness prayer is as follows. Lord, I forgive blank. You can, you can supply the name. Lord, I forgive blank. Lord, I choose not to blame them or hold their actions against them. I give you permission to take any judgment and bitterness out of my life. I surrender it to you and ask you to remove it, to heal me where I've been wounded and to forgive me where I have sinned. I hereby surrender my right to be paid back for my loss by those who have sinned against me, and in so doing, I declare my trust in God alone as the righteous judge. Father God, bless them in every way. In Jesus' name, Amen. So finally, I just want to ask you to consider, why are you here this morning? What are you holding on to? Is there disappointment in your life? Is there nagging criticism? Have you walled yourself off from certain persons? I realize that this person you may need to forgive might be dead or even dangerous. It's not always safe to be reconciled with somebody. But we can always forgive. We can always hear Jesus saying to us, forgive. Will you? On April 9th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln got word up in Washington, D.C. that at the Appomattox Courthouse... General Lee had surrendered to General Grant, and the Civil War was over. It was at this moment when word came to him at the White House that Abraham Lincoln saw a band in the crowd, and he asked them to play not a victory march, but the song of the South, Dixie. And they began with that song to move towards reconciliation, with malice toward none, with charity for all. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you present yourself to us in Jesus Christ, who is truly the judge. How grateful we are that the one who has the right to judge all things is also the one who has given his life to forgive all things and all people. May we today, by this text, be called into your ministry of reconciliation. And we realize that the work of forgiveness is hard work. It's beyond our capabilities. So we call on your Holy Spirit this day to come and soften our hearts and give us the power, protect us, keep us safe while we dare to take the risk of forgiving others and joining one another together in reconciliation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.